Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. And welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion. Today is February 2nd, 2015. I am Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, my skip out of FanFest early, Jake English. It was a jaunt. It was yeah. more of a jaunt than a skip. You can find us over at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. We have got a fresh new look over there. You can also find us at Baltimore Sports Report. You should be checking out Baltimore Sports Today. Um, a lovely daily podcast by Zach Will, Jebby Burns, and the lovely members of the BSR staff, um, filling you in on all things NFL, MLB, NCAA, rugby, polo, hockey. I think that hockey and polo thing is exactly the same, though. But that's just another story. Um, you should also be following us on various third-party applications, such as Stitcher. Stitcher. Miro. Double Twist, and uh, I guess iTunes if you really get desperate. Social media, you can be following us on Facebook.com slash BEVcast, but most importantly, you should be following us on Twitter at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Jake, it's time we jaunt into the drink of the week. That's not a skip. It's a jaunt. It's a jaunt. I like it already. This week, I am drinking something that is handcrafted mm. by the Trogues Brothers. Oh, from the fine it, state of Pennsylvania. It is Hershey, Hershey, Pennsylvania. It is a uh, perpetual IPA from Trogues uh, Craft Brewery, which is a uh, great beer. If you haven't had it, I absolutely recommend it. Um, uh, Baltimore Sports Board had the beer guy on recently. Yes. Uh, and they talked a little bit about Trogues. But uh, if you don't know it, I really encourage you to go check it out. It's it's really good. It's a great brewery. Um, and I consider it to be a local brewery since it's just right across the border. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been there for the tour. Yes. I am going, and the sampling. Yes, I'm going with a simple gin and tonic Tanqueray mixed with tonic water. Nice and simple. Scott, no gin and tonic I've ever seen you uh, drink is simple. This one's pretty simple. Um, that's what we're drinking this week for our drink of the week. Let us know what you're drinking and drink of the week on Twitter, but also let us know on Untapped. You can be following us on Untapped at Jake EE4025, and so you can follow me at MAGN8606. Um, with that, I think it's time we hit the twat, Jake. This week on the Twitters, the first one comes out of the category of hot takes. Hot takes. Hot takes. Which is what Twitter is for, right? This tweet comes from uh, the Baltimore Office of Emergency Management, which tweets, of course, as we all know, at Baltimore OEM. And it goes as follows. The, there is a Baltimore fire activity at Oriole Park in Camden Yards, 333 West Camden Street. A ticket booth is on fire. This season's Orioles tickets are that hot, apparently. Ah, 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 ah. I love my emergency management people to have a sense of humor. Now, the information that came out today was the fire was set on purpose or, you know, it wasn't just an accident. Man, Dan is really pissed. Yep. Or the Blue Jays. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I smell Canadian conspiracy. Yeah. 
Um, this next tweet goes into the, well, you don't say category. And this comes from Hardball Talk. You should be following them at Hardball Talk. And it says, Bodo Jimenez on Oriole Struggles. My, my mechanics are not the mechanics you're used to seeing. Well, duh. These are not the droids you're looking for. Yeah. These are not the mechanics I was looking for. I mean, this is pretty much the most obvious tweet whatsoever. If anyone had ever seen a Bodo Jimenez pitch, and even before he was signed by the Orioles, they knew that his mechanics were, well, a smoldering pile of garbage that was lit on fire they're adventurous scott they're adventurous fair point all right the this world really boils down into black and white this and that left and right good and bad there's the dark side and then the light yes uh matt taylor who tweets at roar from 34 uh, an amazing orioles blog that you need to be reading if you're not you're not doing your job as an orioles fan correctly he tweeted out in response to the super bowl my son thinks of sports teams in terms of good guys and bad guys. I hate to have to tell him that the bad guys won last night. Yeah, all right. Yeah. I'll take that as an answer. Um, look, I plugged uh, Matt Taylor's blog, again, Roar from 34. Please go check it out. He's got a great post on um, him, him, his dad, um, a personal family situation that he had going on and how the Orioles really um, connected to that. And it was a, it was a really great piece. If you haven't read it, you need to rush over to roar from 34 to, to go read that much better than any of those children and dad commercials that were on the Super Bowl last night. Yes. None of the children involved didn't make it cause they died. Yes, exactly. All right. This defines settle, I guess this comes from Dan Connolly. You can follow him at Dan Connolly's son. Pierce agrees at about 3.7 million, which was midpoint. Okay. It's a nice payday for him. It makes sense. I was actually expecting when I actually first did the projections uh, before MLB trade rumors came out, I thought that number was going to be closer to four or five million. So very similar to what Pierce's agent asked for. But MLB trade rumors knocked this out of the park. They were very close to being what it, it should be. So again, those guys do a great job. So Orioles, Pierce, three point seven million. I think that's perfectly fair given the situation. Yeah, and again, you you like to see good things happen to good people. Speaking about good people, Jake. Yeah, um, let's let's go. This I'm going to put this in the why category. Why? Why now? This comes from right, right. Why now is a much better way of right. putting this. This comes from seven years ago. I've been like, oh, that makes perfect sense. This comes from Brittany Giroli, who tweets at Brit underscore Giroli. Old pal, Mark Hendrickson will be at big league camp. Why isn't isn't the bullpen already crowded? It, it's pretty crowded. I don't understand quite why. I mean, the only thing I can think of from Hendrickson is lefty. He's left-handed. He's got that sidearm delivery now. Apparently, he's dropped to maybe submarine or full sidearm, yeah. whatever it is. It's a different look. Okay, yeah, I get that. If he's willing to take a minor league assignment, then I think it's fine. Well, I just don't. What's the point? Because he's plus forty. So even if you put him in a minor league assignment, what is he exactly going to learn down there? Well, he's not going to learn anything. What he's going to do is he's going to remain available in case the worst happens. Yeah. Okay. There's in other, case we lose Wesley Wright. There's other left-handed options within the minor leagues. So. Agreed. Um, next week goes to Wilson. I'm sorry, Wilson. You found your volleyball? No, but Wilson batted me. To, uh, there was some news about him today. This comes from at Adam Barry, Adam D. Barry, who was uh, one of the Rays reporters for MLB.com. Wilson better meet a free agent who spent last year with AAA Durham, suspended 50 games after testing positive for amphetamines. I'm sorry, Wilson. 
You'd think that his performance would be a bit better if he was being helped. Actually, his performance was amazing last year. He was in a Triple uh, A All Star last year. Ah, oh, yes, of course, yes, of course. Yes. Uh, the next category, Scott. I'm going to hand this one right back over to you because you found this one and and you were so you were so right. Yes, this goes into the oh baby category. <laughs> Uh, this comes from the San Diego Padres. You can follow them at Padres. New in 2015, way back Wednesdays for five Wednesday day games, team will wear home brown pinstripe uniforms from 1985 to 1990. Mwah. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's a good look. It is a great look. Uh, let's see, Jake. Next on, we've got uh, the final bit. Uh, nothing like having a plan, except if you don't. This comes from Eduardo A. Ancina. You can follow him at Eddie in the Yard. Hashtag Orioles will have a 13-game season plan available for the 2015 season. According to a club spokesman, there will not be a 20- or 40-game plan. Hmm. That's really interesting. You know, I, I wrote up a post about this and then deleted basically everything I had to say because it was kind of trash. But it, it's kind of interesting because the team told us, like in writing, via email, that they were not going to be um, – offering 13 game plans that the smallest available plan was going to be 20 games. Apparently it either uh, didn't, didn't work out because they weren't selling enough 20 game plans uh, and the demand and made them turn around or something else happened. Can I, can I put on my tinfoil hat for a second here, Scotty? To be fair, we talked about this before. The email was they're not selling any new 13 game plans. It wasn't an elimination of the 13 game plans. Right. But, but now they're no longer selling 20 game plans. That is correct. So, can you handle the conspiracy theory? Uh, go ahead. All right. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that uh, in addition to the 13 game plan being eliminated, which was expected and and quasi announced, might I add, mm-hmm. um, as well as uh, a price hike, which I think a lot of people expected. I think both of those things did not happen because the Orioles were so um, – uh, upset and not, I don't mean like, you know, angry, upset meaning in upheaval over the whole Dan Duquette situation and didn't want to have one more bit of bad PR news for the offseason. I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. Okay. When has that ever stopped the Orioles before? Okay. Fair point. Very fair <laughs> point. But I would say that that is a question that would have been spot on pre 2012. Um, I'm not talking about on the field. I'm talking about Orioles PR. I, I think that the Orioles organization as a whole, mm-hmm. including the amount of times that they've shot themselves in the foot Many or, times. or fed themselves, you know, on their own foot yep. has decreased. There's a lot late. of foot and mouth disease. Yep. Yes. I, I think that they've done a better job with that of late. Or is it just that my, uh, my opinion is swayed by the fact that winning fixes all. I think that helps a lot. Um, I think there is good things and bad things that the team is doing, but really there is nothing better as of late that the Orioles have been doing than FanFest. So let's go right into FanFest and talk about the experience that it was. All right, but I'm only going to have this conversation for a couple minutes and then I'm going to jet. That sounds like a plan. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see No, I won't be afraid No, I won't 
just as long as you stand, stand by me. Jake, this past Saturday, 16,000 Orioles fans braved the winter weather and uh, all came out to Baltimore to, well, celebrate the AL East champion Baltimore Orioles, but also kind of get a brief glimpse and feeling for spring and summer to come. Jake, it was the most ever since the 2013 season where they had 18,000. And props for letting the O's let all the season ticket holders and the non-season ticket holders in early because of the weather. It was a really good call. And again, another example of a good PR move on their part of saying, hey, let's not keep these people out there waiting much longer than they need to. Yeah, that was, that was solid because it was miserable out there. And, and it was, it's been miserable in previous seasons, um, but that was a really good point for the Orioles to kind of just be like, let's take advantage of this and bring people in and um, well, let's start trying to get people organized. Um, you know, the Orioles really should just go out and take that number and, you know, contact NFL PR and say, look at the number of fans that came out to support the Orioles on a Super Bowl weekend because, you know, you know there's still, still that running commentary between the NFL and the Orioles for, you know, how popular really is baseball. Or, you know, just tweet them, hey, NFL PR, uh, you know, 16,000 Orioles fans on Super Bowl weekend. I, I, I like that. I, I think that is a really good call. It, they're obviously better people than I am. But, you know, bigger, more mature. But if it were me, I don't think so. I'd be rubbing their yeah. noses in it. The one big thing I want to start with for our FanFest discussion, and it's going to come back back to the crowd. And we've got to talk about the crowd from the good and the bad standpoint. Uh, the first good part about it is it's amazing to be in that kind of population right in the middle of winter and seeing a bunch of people that you know and, you know, getting caught up with them saying, hey, how's it going? It's It's just a great thing. To kind of, you know, meet up with friends again and talk. Yeah, and I think that is such a good point because I think everybody's got that, right? I mean, you know, the Orioles are so important to people because baseball and the Orioles specifically are part of the the way that they experience community, the way that they experience family, you know, friendship, that kind of thing. The, the baseball is what goes on in the background while people build connections with one another. Um, and that's great. You know, you see your friends. I, I ran into my brother and stepfather and soon-to-be brother-in-law, and I didn't even know they were going to be wow. there. Um, but one of the other cool things that I think has happened is, you know, there are some communities that are formed just around the Orioles. I mean, you take something like the communities over at Camden Chat or on the Orioles subreddit or at the Orioles Hangout. Mm-hmm. People that don't know each other for anything else besides the Orioles. You know, come to think of, you know, things like the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You know, you and I have gotten to know a lot of really great people, you know, uh, OBP Apparel, just all of these other entities that are formed around the Orioles that we wouldn't really know except for, for around the Orioles. And, and I bumped into a lot of people that I know. I bumped into, you know, Romeo from, from, yep. you know, having, uh, been able to have a conversation with him because we had him on the show a couple of weeks ago. And that was one of the cool things that, that I really took a moment to think about this year at FanFest is that as much as it is a chance for us to, to get access to the team, and I know we'll talk about that later. It is kind of cool to be able to be there with people that you know have the same stupid hobbies or care about the same things, Orioles baseball, as much as as we do, uh, and then some. Okay, I, I completely agree with that. And you know, it's a really good experience to see these people. But the bad part of it is, there are people there that I didn't get to see. I mean, they were just so messed up in the crowd that you know i'd love to see carnan i know he's there and i just couldn't find him whatsoever uh, and that's you know probably part part of my issue too of just not contacting me and saying hey it's a 
let's go meet up. But, you know, I remember like five or six years ago, and there was a certain intimacy with FanFest and kind of being able to walk around with the true diehards. And there's a lot of people there, and it's great to have that people there. It's the whole discussion of I'd rather have the ballpark completely filled as opposed to, you know, just a few people. But it is interesting from a dynamic standpoint to have to wait in long lines and, you know, just kind of shuffle about and kind of be shoulder to shoulder, not being able to sit for a lot of the fan forums. Um, It's one of those things where I'm not sure how the Orioles go about fixing it. Um, And I'm not necessarily sure it's a bad thing. It's just something that I think as a fan that has been long towards FanFest, I may have to start reshaping the way I approach these things going forward. You know, I, I don't think it's a bad thing, and I'm, I'm sure I'll shoot my mouth off in, in a little bit about that. But I, I I think a lot of people are talking about that, about the crowd and how crowded things were. I think there are a lot of things the Orioles can do to help that. Um, but I will echo what you said. I do not in any way, shape, or form think that more people being interested in being a part of Orioles baseball is a bad thing. It's just – it's not a problem. Do I miss the elbow room at Camden Yards? Yeah, I do. Yeah. You know, those those seats are a lot better when you can drape your knees over the, the row in front of you. Yep. But that is that pales in comparison to being there with, a, you know, 46,000 people that are screaming because they're excited. The enthusiasm of FanFest was was really what I took away from it. Very surprising. Especially because we've been there in years where it's been divided. Very much so. I mean, I think the first one that you and I went to together, there was this guy that we ran into who it was an older guy. Um, older than us, yeah. but uh, you know, he he said, you know, why you care about this team? They're lying to you. Yeah. They're lying to They've you. They've lied to you your whole life. They're a bad team. They're a bad team. And yeah. I was like, yeah, have a have a great day, sir. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go root for my team over yeah. here. Yeah, you go have your gin and tonics. Whoever would drink gin and tonics? I mean, <laughs> old men, old clearly men, yes. old men. <laughs> but no, I I think you know the the enthusiasm of sixteen thousand people, eighteen thousand people, whatever it was, that's a good thing, and, and it should be harnessed and it should be embraced and and. If there are inconveniences that are, are accompanied with it, we need to give feedback to the team, and the team needs to figure out how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that probably leads us to a really uh, good segue. I want I want to do this in twofold. Let's talk about what works at FanFest, and and maybe some things that ought to be improved. So uh, first and foremost, Scotty, what what works with FanFest? The best thing about FanFest, in my opinion, has to be the fan forums. I love sitting down. And listening to fan forums. Now, unfortunately, this year, I didn't actually get to sit down at any of the fan forums. I just actually kind of muddled about and listened to some of them, which was extremely different from the way I have ever approached another fan fest. But I kind of wanted to see mm, a different view of fan fest. And we'll get into that at a later point. Um, but I think the fan forums and being able to listen to Duquette, listen to Showwatch Talk, but also listen to some of the subsidiary coaches, too, with like, Dave Wallace, Dom Chidi, Scott Kubal. I think those are really interesting conversations that oftentimes are not covered in the media. And it gives uh, the fans a chance to kind of pepper them with questions that, you know, try to get some insight on the team that is not often published or talked about. Yeah, I I agree with you. You know, you and I have discussed this in the past. I'm not an autographs guy. You know, there are a lot of things at FanFest that are great that just don't appeal to me. I really like going to the fan forums. And, you know, some people can say that the people up there only give trite answers and it's not really, you know, that great of an extent. I, I think it's great. I think it's really fascinating. I think that there are really great nuggets of information in there. And what you just said about the coaches, I mean, this, you know, instead of being point counterpoint, this is turning into point point. But um, last year uh, I heard Bobby Dickerson talk and he was just incredibly insightful. And I was like, oh. That's why this guy's the third base coach for a winning ball club. Oh, you know, that's why the infield is so good because this guy's pretty yeah. bright. He doesn't just, you know, 
do the windmill and say, oh, that's my job. He, no, he does. That's yeah, that's well, it. It's true, but but no, I I, th- I think you're exactly right. I think I think this is really cool. The other thing is that uh, yeah, I think they made some really good choices with the players that they they had up there. Um, I only watched the one player uh, forum, but it was uh, Manny Machado, Machado, Bud Norris, Tommy Hunter, Matt and Wieters. Matt Wieters, yep. And, uh, that was those, pretty good that we pulled that off our head. Those were yeah. a really good group of guys. Good character guys, yeah. Answering questions. Um, so, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. But we brought up fan forums, so we have to at least discuss that uh, Dan uh buck uh brady anderson one that that was in the morning for the the uh season ticket holders and whoever was cold <laughs> sure yeah i mean honestly i thought it was a interesting forum you probably don't know about this because i think you got there actually after we did but well no you were at the, at the forums i know that but i was actually went up there um i actually had josh roca from section 336 actually standing next to me and um all of a sudden lo and behold guess he walks over and stands about four feet away from us Dan Duquette. Mr. Blue Jay himself. Mr. Blue Jay himself. So, of course, I'm snapping pictures and stuff like that. And he's, you know, talking to people. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a pretty bold and gutsy mood to be standing out in the public like that. You don't know how people are going to respond. And, you know, there was really no issue. Um, and then he went up on stage and he got a rounding sound of applause. Maybe not so much as Brady or Buck. but It was a lot warmer than it I thought it was going to be. It was a lot warmer than I thought it was going to be. And there really was no questions asked to Duquette of, you know, you know, are you really a trader or, you know, do you like Canadian whiskey or anything like that? It was a pretty good, well-behaved crowd is the best way I can describe it. Whereas I thought the first question was going to be, why did you turn your back on the Orioles and let Marcakis leave? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, that may go back to the the mood of the crowd that we were talking yeah. about. A yeah. couple of years ago when there was less faith in the team from the fan base, maybe that would have happened. Um, and it had happened right. before. Um, but you know, Jim Hunter was the one emceeing that event and he went right to it. He's like, Dan, let's, let's talk about it. And you know, Dan Duquette said what he had to say. I don't, I don't really feel like what he said added anything, no. but it did kind of take the wind out of the sails, um, for that whole dis- uh, Blue Jays discussion. I, I can sit and I can listen to, to Buck Showalter read the side of a cereal box. Yeah. I, I could listen to him talk all day about any mundane talk topic but he was um he was pretty good my my favorite though is that uh we got a little taste of sassy buck we got some sassy buck i we actually someone actually videoed this where i'm gonna play it out now because i think it's a good opportunity for us to play some sassy buck this is buck showalter talking about small ball a fan in the crowd basically asked why the Orioles don't play more small ball they thought it might be a really benefit especially against the royals and um well let's just hear what buck has to say i should have Small ball, bunting, stealing, situational bunting, which maybe in the playoffs I might have situations. Past couple of years, I was looking for it. What's, what's the end game you're trying to get to with, the, with this perceived thing of small ball? It's kind of like a sad What does a bad pressure on the deep, on the defense? So they're emotion. They don't know where we're coming from. You know. Yeah, I got you. I, you know, it's, it's kind of we, we actually do a lot of it. That goes on. Probably notice, but you're also trying to do what fits your player's skills. And we can go get a bunch of those guys, but they won't be able to catch the ball. We can go get a bunch of those guys, but I think, you know, if you come down to spring training, you look at the things, you try to give the players um, something, an option. And uh, I think a lot depends on who's pitching for you, who's playing defense, how many runs do you have to score that night. You know, if you play for one run, you're going to get one run, maybe. And usually uh, it depends on the, the time of the game, who's pitching 
many variables that go into a game and go into a decision. Who's pitching for them? Is he normally if Verlander's pitching? So that's basically I wanted to pay, play from Buckshaw Walter. Just kind of this whole aspect of. You know, it's kind of a silly notion just to say the Orioles don't play small ball and that's what caused them to lose in the ALCS. I just, it's a very strange comment by that fan. I mean, I understand that, you know, they're not a big bunting team. And, but again, you know, I think Jim Hunter, you know, which this is going to sound awful, me praising him for intelligent thought. Uh, Jim Hunter really silenced that argument best when he said, the Orioles were in first place in the AL East last year. They hit, you know, 192 home runs or whatever. It well, was. yeah, actually, the best part was it, it was Hunter coming in afterwards, but it was actually Mr. Duquette popping in and talking about the bunting situation too. So I'm going to play that part right afterwards as well. Yeah, yeah I want to go with this small ball. What do you think Earl Weaver would say about that? <laughs> we led the American League in home runs last year, and I'm looking for more guys hit home runs now. Could we have a few more guys on base when they hit the home runs? Yes, we could. Yes, we could. But I'm not looking for players to execute on small ball. I'm looking for players that can catch the ball, they can play defense, they can hit the ball, and hit the ball over the fence. That's the knockout punch, and that's why a lot of people like to come out to the ballpark. So, for me, that's not really what we're teaching. We're teaching good defense, guys can get on base and hit the ball over the fence. That's how you win in the American League. I'm pretty sure he just said pitching defense in the three-run home run. I believe he just said pitching defense in the three-run home and, run. And by the way, Touche, you nailed it. Yeah. I mean, that was just – it's a very – it was a good thing. Uh, and, you know, I'm a big person about on-base percentage and stuff like that because statistically yeah, that does absolutely. make sense. But at the same point, pitching defense in the home run works out pretty well for most teams. So if you can do that – this comes back to the whole Woba argument that I always say. You know, walks are great. But singles are actually better than walks, and you won't see that in on-base percentage. But in reality, if you hit a single more so than not, you're going to be driving runs in more so than you will be with a walk. And you know, and I'm sure there is a statistical analysis out there that will will basically say what I'm about to say a lot more articulately. But I, I think that another thing that that comes into play with the on-base thing is you have to put the ball in play. Yeah, and you have a lot better chance of scoring runs, of contributing to scoring runs, if you put the ball in play. Than if you give in to one of the three ultimate scenarios of the strikeout, the, the home run of the wall. Sure. Buck actually got into that a little bit later in that discussion, too, saying the Orioles have one of the better contact rates in, uh, in Major League Baseball, which eh, that's not exactly true. Did he say uh, damage to contact ratio? He did not. I don't think he did. That is a very specific Buckism. Yeah. I yeah. But yeah, I mean, the mention of contact was brought up, and the Orioles weren't great in terms of contact, but it, it comes back to the situation of. You know, certain fans need to get some kind of perspective about when you make a question like that to Buck. Um, and that was just one of my funnier things that I came across for all of FanFest from the fan forums. I love Sassy Buck. Yes. All right. So the, the fan forums, I and mean, we should probably wrap this up. We could talk as long as those forums went on. Yep. Uh, can I, w- one last story from the sure. fan forums. Best thing from the players that I saw. Again, it was that dais with uh, Matt Wieters, Bud Norris, Manny Machado, and Tommy Hunter. First of all, Bud Norris is a very insightful guy, a lot more than I thought he was. And evidently, according to my wife, a very good-looking guy, too. Well, I won't counter that. Yeah. But the best part of the uh, best part of the question-answer session with, with those guys was that some fan asked Manny Machado how his knee was, and Tommy Hunter, who was sitting next to him, took his microphone and tapped it on the surgically repaired knee, and you heard this thump, thump, thump echo through the uh, chamber to uh, laughs and applause. That was... Um, Tommy Hunter should be in front of a microphone yeah. much more often. Yeah. That was well played. Well played. 
Alrighty, so fan forums we're a big fan of. Let's talk about what else is working at FanFest. One, the first and foremost that I have to applaud the Orioles for is I really think that they have made this event very kid-friendly. And I think that they have a lot of offerings for kids and for a sport that claims to have a problem with, with an aging demographic as far as fans are concerned. Yeah. This is excellent. I, I agree. It's a great fan, you know, kid forum for kids to come out and, you know, the kid media sessions and stuff like that. I think it's a great fan forum. And that was that was new to last year. They right. they have, you know, opportunities to to, you know, question and answer with the players that is just for kids. Yeah. And, uh, and, and you know, I'm, I was thinking about it, you know, for this recent fan fest and, you know, we're getting kids right in that age group and I'm thinking to myself, when can I start bringing my kids to fan fest? And Jake, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like the perfect age for kids coming to this thing are anywhere between like five to 14 years old. Yeah, I, I will. I will. Um, I think five may be a little young for, for my kids just because of the, the types of kids they are. I think the sweet spot is eight. Eight. Yeah. I think I think eight years old. I think eight is, is a sweet spot as well. But I think that if you have a really like your kids in T-ball or something like that, yeah. five years old would be like wheelhouse time absolutely and and you know also remember that dave johnson's got those those kid clinics going on yep, on coca-cola field yep. you know they've got uh you know obviously the autographs are, f- are for uh you know kids more than anybody else these days at fan fest there are a lot of things going on for kids that i i think you know the team should be applauded for because as much as nerds like you and i look forward to fan fest it should really be about you know a kid's game allowing kids access sure the other thing I thought that was really great, too, was the Orioles are doing a great job with Masson of integrating their social media platform. Um, you know, Masson was doing yeah, everything that you would think of, but also just tying in text messaging, Twitter, Instagram towards, you know, prize giveaways, which I think is just great for spreading the word through various social networks. So that's a great way to spread word out. Um, I had various people at my work today being like, oh, yeah, I saw that on my Facebook or, oh, I saw that on my Twitter. And I'm, they're like, maybe I'll go to that next year. So that's a great way to get the word out, not just about the baseball season, but kind of get the word out about your brand. So I think the Orioles are doing a great job on the social media. And, and that hasn't always been the case. No. I, I think they've come a really long way yeah. short in a short period of time. Yeah, so good good on them. All right. Um, another great thing about FanFest is the stadium and clubhouse tour. Yep. I mean, that is just that that is always something people talk about. Yeah. They they love. First of all, you can only go to the clubhouse during FanFest. That's it's the only time you can take a tour and get inside the, the clubhouse. Um, uh, people also love being able to go into the dugout and go out onto the warning track and stand, you know, basically on the field. Mm-hmm. They don't like you to touch the grass. Don't touch the grass, or experience. Yeah, don't touch the grass. Um, but that's a winner. I mean, that's a and, and they really do kind of, you know, herd people through kind of quickly. So it it doesn't take a, a ton of your time. No, uh, but it, that's a cool experience that I, I think is just universally well liked. I agree. Um, the other thing that I think has it's a mixed bag, but I think it actually works out pretty good is the autograph sessions and the photographs that are done. Um, the Orioles basically just raised $100,000 for Orioles Reach just through selling the autographs. I think that's a great thing. I haven't heard the final number, but they also have a thing through Shannon's Fund. They were doing $5 photos uh, through for Shannon's Fund where the Orioles players were going up taking pictures of people. I'd imagine based off the lines that I saw that they easily made another twenty or $30,000 off of that. So you're talking about $130,000, maybe $150,000 once they've sold all the additional merchandise that were in the silent auction that is going to go away to charity. And that's just a, a great thing to do in just one day. So yeah. kudos to the Orioles and kudos for the fans willing to make that commitment to go out there and spend that kind of money. And it doesn't really feel like a shill either. No. You know, it doesn't feel like they're going after your pockets. But to be able to put that kind of uh, cash behind a charity event – 
Great. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Look, you and I are are obviously, you know, kind of weighted one way on the whole fan fest is great. But Shills. Let's, let's, yeah, right. They can pay us anytime. Uh, let's talk about what, what doesn't work with fan fest or, or what could be improved. And uh, first and foremost, you know, the Orioles, uh, you know, they have their in-house uh, media of Masson. Um, they just changed from uh, WBL over to the fan as far as their uh, flagship radio station. The fan was the only. The fan and Masson were the only real media present um, at at Fan Fest. Uh, do you think that that there should be more opportunity for there to be other media outlets uh, able to participate? Gosh, it's almost like I'm biased, but actually, I would say no for this year. I think it's a good opportunity for 105.7 The Fan to kind of get their foot established. It's their first year; they've only had it for a few weeks now. I think you they paid the money for it, so they get the priority. I think it, there's no issues with the fan and WJZ kind of getting their foot in their booth at the door, and yeah, that's fine for right now. In the future, maybe the case, but for right now, I think the Orioles are doing a good job with that in terms of using more official partners for media because they've got to pay the piper. Sure. No. And I, and I, I don't want to sound like I don't understand the business aspect of that. I, I totally get, and you said it perfectly. That's what they paid for. But let me, let me get crazy here for a second. The Super Bowl is a saying that gets stupid. Yes. Yes. Sorry, Sam. Sorry, Alan. The, the Super Bowl is a spectacle, right? Mm -hmm. It's just stupid. The amount of, of, uh, media attention that goes on there. There are, you know, the media row, there are every single media outlet you can think of that go down there. You know, local Baltimore stations send their contingency down there when Baltimore isn't even involved. It is just like the thing. Yeah. Let me ask you this Yeah. for everybody, for everybody that's interested in Orioles baseball. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't the Orioles want to have a, a media row for everybody who wants to do that, to be involved to get the word out. And yeah. maybe the flagship gets the the line share, yeah. the better side of things. You know, maybe only the flagship gets Dan Duquette. But what if you allowed everybody else who was interested in uh you know promoting your brand for money, um, you know, for their own benefit, but promoting your brand to allow them to do that. You know, if if you could see things from Orioles Fan Fest on the nightly news and all this other stuff. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that from the team perspective. Again, I understand the business side yeah. of it, but I think it might be a little short-sighted. I, I think this is one of the ways that you could actually improve it from the aspect of the crowd. So if you want a bigger crowd, it may be of interest to kind of spread it out and say, we're going to have the main forums, mm-hmm. but then we're going to have a side forums. And we're basically going to have lesser people that you probably don't want to talk to so much, but some fans that are really the true diehard fans are going to want to go and see and talk to these people so maybe it's one like maybe it's a fan forum for just Alejandro Deaza and David Lowe. Yeah. And just kind of talking to those and just being like, how do you approach the corner outfield position? You know, what are you guys looking to do this year? You know, you're going to have a lot more playing time and stuff like that. Whereas a lot of the fans that are going to see Chris Davis, Manny Machado, Adam Jones, pull some of the lesser known talents that are not out there and put them on a side stage and kind of throw answers and questions back at them. All right. Now, here's a... Um here, here's I'm going to have to walk a, a tight line here because I don't want this to sound too self-interested. Yes. But I'm curious about um, the possibilities of opportunities for fan-produced media. And You mean like Mark Brown, who was at the media portion? Yeah. yeah okay. I mean like that. Okay. Um, a few years ago, there was a bloggers fan forum. Yeah. You know, on the dais, there was the, the, the bloggers sure. thing. And I think that the Orioles do a pretty decent job with fan 
produced media. They have a relationship with a few bloggers that that guest blog on Mass and Sports. You know, again, we're talking about Matt Taylor and, and Zach Wilt and you know uh, whoever else is on that that, yeah. that list. But I think that there would be opportunities for folks like that to participate in FanFest in some way. And again, you know, not anywhere near the main stage and certainly not on the main drag. But again, these are people that want to help pr- promote the Orioles brand. And I, I think there's a room, you know, room for people like that to, to participate. So that I think the Orioles should think about that. Like I said, it would be a good opportunity for them to expand into multiple areas that yeah. just kind of spread the crowd out further. Spread right. the crowd out, spread the crowd out, spread the crowd out. And, and you can't tell me that, you know, Tony Penty's reach at Orioles Hangout is insignificant and they don't want to capture those eyeballs. Correct. So I agree. I mean, I can't argue with that. Um, the other things that might be interesting would be um, expanding the Camden Yards tour, um, kind of doing more of the normal stadium tour. That means going into like the interview rooms, the press box room, um, the Masson studio, some of the nicer suites would be an interesting thing. See, I didn't realize that any of that or, or, you know, all of that or whatever was on the normal stadium tour. Oh, yeah. I've only been in the, uh, on the fan fest tour. Uh, okay. Yeah. The, the normal stadium tour includes everything such as the interview room, the press box, the Masson studios, everything of that is on the normal stadium tour. It'd be interesting for them to run normal stadium tours, um, during fan fest as well. Uh, again, though, opening up the the you know the home clubhouse is a big big thing so uh, and again if you're a season ticket holder you can always go for the regular tour for free as part of the orange carpet program all right um one last thing i I think that they they do a great job of making the the players available obviously you know fan fest is is there to you know uh, reconnect people with baseball after you know a horrible winter or during you know this long winter where rogers hornsby is looking out the window um but I think they probably have some more opportunities to showcase the players. I thought it was great that they did a uh, a game show style yep. uh, thing uh, with uh, Ryan Wagner. Definitely has a uh, future as a game show host. That's all he I does can indeed. Say. He does indeed. Um, you know, and obviously the uh, the pie with Adam Jones. Yep. Previous years it was bubbles. You know, they do a great job with sure. that. Sure. Um, also, you made me aware because I I skipped out early um, to to go to a thing. Uh, you told me that they had a, a deal where uh, Adam Jones was playing RBI baseball Correct. with some of the fans. Perfect. Yep. I think they should do lots of little things like that, and they should do it throughout the day. Here's something I want to throw out at you. Mm-hmm. What if they uh, What if they had the ping pong table they, set up? They actually had a ping pong table set up, Ooh. but I don't think any players came by and played ping pong. I'm thinking, and, and this has so many possibilities. Okay, you could do so many things with this. You have players play against each other what if the players played against each other for charity the only concern i would have about that is what happens if one of them gets injured what happens if one of them gets injured in the clubhouse i understand that i understand that another opportunity have a a fan tournament and the winner gets to play one of the players that's a possibility so i'm just saying again how do you choose a fan tournament yes okay i don't know yeah kids from disadvantaged schools i don't know You, you do something Please, sir, I like a ping pong paddle. Yeah, because I know they're really good with ping pong. But I'm just saying. More? I think there are lots of opportunities for them to sprinkle that out through the day. Um, I think the Orioles did a great job of getting the players out, walking around on the floor, and just kind of popping up at random places and kind of talking the talk. We have something very important to do. Yes. We have talked about the the good things and the bad things. Yes. This is the part where we would usually do something ugly, but I'm going to skip that. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I had a, a family event to go to in the afternoon. I was really upset that it was scheduled the same day, but it was important for me to go to. 
you stayed for the duration. And Scott Magnus, you had some experiences which are worth talking about. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Before we go there, I owe you an apology. Okay. Two years ago. Two years ago? Uh, you, yes, two years you ago. You took an object to the autograph table. Yes. You got Wilson Benemy to sign your Wilson Castaway Volleyball. I did. One of the funniest damn things I've ever seen. Uh, good on you. Thank you. You got an autograph voucher this year for, uh, in, amongst other players, Larry Bigme. And you asked me for one thing. I did. I had one job. You had one job. You asked me to bring my copy of the Mitchell Report mm-hmm. out of my basement with its binder so that you could have Larry Bigby sign that. And did I come through with uh, on that for you? You failed. No. I'm the worst friend yep. ever. But I got to say, Larry Bigby, really nice guy. I, I'm sure he was, and he would have been a really great guy if he had signed your copy yes. of the Mitchell Report. I think he would have understood, too. Uh, I think he would have understood. I don't know about that. All right. So I robbed you of a golden opportunity for comedy, and yes. I, I cannot apologize. It's okay. Uh, more for that who else did you talk to on that particular um on that particular stage i had dylan bundy as well who signed my dylan bundy jersey he said that he don't doesn't see many of these around and did you tell him that's because he got hurt well i just basically said well i bought it you know when you first came into the league you know i'm looking forward to big things coming this year and he said oh that's great and we kind of made the signature and moved right on okay larry bigby was next you know he was a pretty nice guy i really didn't know what i was going to have him sign since somebody forgot my mitchell report i'm so sorry god i'm a failure so i had him sign my hat and um then i walked down and met mr jones and uh he looked at my uh, air jones obp apparel shirt which i highly recommend to anybody that's looking for a gift idea for your husband or wife um the other thing and he just was like that's a cool shirt you know uh, you know and I was like, yeah, I, don't, I know the guys. I'm sure you guys, you do too. And he's like, yeah, I've met him a time or two. And I said, do you mind signing my baseball? Sorry, for- you name dropped OBP Apparel to Adam Jones? Why wouldn't I? All right, go ahead. Yeah. And then I said, do you mind signing this baseball? Um, it's for my son. And he's just like, do you want me to make it out to him? And I said, no, I don't want you to make it out to him. I just want to hold on to it myself. <laughs> and he's just laughed and said, okay. That's very cool. Yeah. That's very cool. And all of those things are awesome. Again, Larry Bigby signing the Mitchell Report would have been even more awesome. But that is not that is not the best thing that happened to you on that day. Am I am I correct? Um, no, it wasn't the best thing. I wouldn't wouldn't say that. My wife actually had an autograph session I purchased for her. She was going to go get a, a baseball autograph by Manny Machado, say hello to him as well. Um, and I had about 40 minutes to kill because that's how long it took to get through the lines. <laughs> so I'm like, what am I going to do with myself? And I'm at the Madison booth and I'm looking at the times so and I say, that might just work out. And lo and behold, Jim Palmer is going to be available for photos at four o'clock. So I was about the sixth person in line waiting for Jim Palmer while everyone is ushering themselves in to go talk to Zach Britton, fully knowing that I'm going to go talk to Jim Palmer. So Jim Palmer comes out and, you know, he sits down on the couch in the normal Jim Palmer way of kind of being somewhere between coherent and drunk. And I come up to him and I sit down on the couch and I kind of just stare at him on the couch with my legs crossed and I'm just looking directly at him. And I maybe may have mentioned the words of, I'm just going to stare at you and idolize you for the greatest picture of all time. And there may have been a quick hand gesture to say, gosh darn it, look at the camera. From Jim Palmer? Yes. Ooh, see, ooh. <laughs> That's harsh. Well, now, d- d- did you like black out from joy 
like while sitting on the couch? Did you like tingle? How did this happen? Because I know that Jim Palmer is big for you. You know, we Jim, we make fun, but Jim, you have a real soft spot for Jim Palmer. It was it was it was fine. I'm actually a little disappointed in myself because I had one question for him and I failed to ask it. And you know what that question has to be? Does this have anything to do with underwear modeling? No, it doesn't. I just wanted to know what his drink of the week was. Oh, Scotty! Oh. <laughs> but I completely forgot it because I kind of just blanked out under the pressure of the situation, which normally doesn't happen. But I also kind of just wanted to look dreamily into his eyes. But he wouldn't let, let me have any a part of it. So um, I posted the pictures on Mass, and it was it was fine. I'm hoping for a better conversation with him in the future. Here's from your lips to God's ears. I'm I'm so happy for you. Look, all joking aside, I know how great it must have been to, to just sit down and have a very brief conversation with, with Jim Palmer. Good on you, Scotty. Can I tell you something? Yeah, please I think, do. I think he was wearing boxer briefs because I couldn't see any bulge coming out of the pants. <laughs> You're telling me he's still got the, the model uh, physique. Yes, I, I he was wearing something that was restricting a little bit so that I couldn't see it poking out through the pants, which apparently is a problem for some men. That's frightening. Yes. Last thing about FanFest, and then we should really leave that there because there's there's no better uh, note to leave on. Uh, Jim, uh, Gary Thorne was not involved in FanFest. It was all Jim Hunter all the time. Uh, do you think that's just a scheduling thing, or do you make anything of that? I think it's just a scheduling I, thing. I thought so, too. There was a lot of talk uh, about why isn't Gary Thorne here? I look. I think he was just golfing this weekend or had something to do. He had, he had a prior career, yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. I wouldn't read too deep into that. No, I'm not going to get too big into that. Although what I am going to get deep into now is a concern that I have going into the season. Um, let's go ahead and get into that. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like a, like a sex machine, man. Moving, doing it, you know. Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. Jake, with the departure of Nick Marcakis and the filling of the outfield now complete with Travis Snyder, the question has to be raised of what are the Orioles planning to do with the leadoff spot? That was a really professional thing you just did there. What's that? You just totally avoided mentioning the incredible amount of white man dancing that was taking place during uh, James Brown. Well, what can I say? It's it's James Brown. you got to get down with it. All right, go ahead. Oh, you got to get, get up, actually. Um, there's been a lot of weird topics and things that have come up at FanFest, and Buck made a lot of comments uh, about the leadoff situation because it was asked of him a lot. And here's one of the quotes from it. Uh, Showalter quotes, Someone's going to lead off on opening day, I'll bet you. Our guys don't talk about it a lot. I've said many times, take your best hitter and hit him first. Give him more at-bats, which is a very sabermetric approach uh, in, in terms of things. Um, I've also heard like Terry Francona mention this recently at the Indians Fan Fest as well. So it's definitely something that is perhaps gaining a little bit more traction with within managers. Um, but then there was other quotes from Showalter 2, which is really concerning. Uh, this is a quote from him on whether the leadoff spot was Diaz's job to lose. He quotes, I wouldn't say that if you asked what is more important in our order, one or nine, I'd probably say nine because that allows you to do a lot of things down there. And at that point, I'm like, well, hold up a second. You just said bat your first 
you know, your hitter, your best hitter, number one. And now you're saying the nine hole is maybe your best situation. And, and the nine hole is because you got a lot of good candidates to, ha- uh, you know, have a hitter there that can get you back to the leadoff. Correct. So it's a lot of topsy turvy information there. Um, it's just wishy-washy is the best way I can describe it. So I guess, Jake, the question I have is going into next season, who do you see as our ideal leadoff hitter for the Orioles, whether it's against right-handers, left-handers, or both? Well, the way you phrase that is interesting. Who is our ideal leadoff hitter? I would say the ideal leadoff, leadoff hitter isn't on the roster. But it's funny you should say that because Buck was asked about that and says, "On whether it's possible the O's leadoff hitter is not on the team right now." And he quotes, "It is possible, but I don't think it's probable." Sure, but I'm saying the prototypical leadoff hitter does not exist on this team. Okay, so you're talking about a high OEP speedster that gets on base. Doesn't necessarily have to be speedster. Look, he doesn't have to steal a crap ton of bases, but he has to be able to get. Yes, he has to be able to get around the bases when when you know, like like Nick (laughs) Markakis, right? So again, this the Orioles really have not followed the model of having a prototypical leadoff hitter. I mean, re- remember that JJ Hardy was a leadoff hitter for a while for this team. Correct. I mean, that is that is the but epitome also had of, a thing of that JJ Hardy and Matt Waiters probably will not be leadoff hitters next year. Thank God. Yeah, and I only say that because you know that Windmill would send them every time. Yep. Uh, I I think the obvious choice is Alejandro Diaz first because I think he's going to get most of the starts in left field and second because he fills that prototypical role you know it's not to say that your leadoff guy can't have power you know it's not to say that he has to be the fastest guy in the world but when you look at the other guys that are guaranteed spots you can pretty much tick off and say nope not that guy nope not that guy you just gave us two J.J. Hardy and Matt Wieters, they're not going to lead off. Right. Right. Adam Jones is not going to lead off. Chris Davis is not going to lead off. Uh-huh. Steve Pierce is not going to lead off. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll come back to that. Jonathan Scope is not going to lead off. No. <laughs> Manny Machado, Manny Machado could, but I, I keep saying that he's a better second or seventh hitter. Well, it's funny you should mention that too, because Orioles101.com had an article about this. Um, it's from January 30th. They discussed the leadoff situation and they actually named Manny Machado as their individual who could possibly be a leadoff hitter in replacement for Alejandro Diaz in certain situations. You cheated. Did I cheat? You cheated. Did I? You read and researched. I, I did read and research other Orioles blogs and activities. So I recommend highly everyone go to Orioles101.com, check out their article about their case for Manny Machado being it. My concern with Manny Machado is not so much his ability to be active in terms of you know getting on base and stuff like that i think he'd be a very yeah i'm not say great but i'd say serviceable leadoff hitter my main concern from him comes back to nick markakis did a great job at taking pitches at the start of that lineup yeah. and buck has commented multiple times you know even though nick might get out he allows the lineup to see things that allow them to adapt yep. in order to make changes in the lineup so i think taking pitches and taking certain pitches is a big characteristic of being a leadoff hitter. Here's something interesting I heard tonight on the Hot Stove Show on Hot on stove. the brand new flagship of the Baltimore yes. Orioles. Uh, Dan Ducat was on, and he he was talking about the acquisition of Travis Snyder, and uh-huh. he said Travis Snyder is probably our most patient hitter on the roster right now. You know, of all the things that matter to, to Dan Duquette, and you know he's big on on former number one picks. He's big on guys that have pop as well as on base percentage. He he went out of his way to say Travis Snyder can play his position, you know, he can field his position, 
and he, he is a patient hitter. And that's a pretty big, uh, you know, vote of approval from the GM. I totally agree with you. Uh, you can take a look at um, Travis Snyder's numbers, and the one thing that Jake you'll like is his O swing, which is outside the zone swing, is down at 26.7% last year, which is very low compared to most Orioles, which were in the mid-30s. Um, so you're definitely right. He's more discriminating in terms of being patient at the plate. And he certainly doesn't have a bad on-base percentage, too. You look at last year, and his on-base percentage was at 338, which is actually better than Nick Marcakis's was last mm-hmm. year. Um, my main concerns from him are he still has a slightly higher strikeout percentage than a, like a Nick Marcakis does. And it's a question, too, of if it's a very small sample size for Travis Snyder. We'll see if he can actually adapt, especially coming into the American League at the same portion. Um, I think Alejandro Diaz is a great choice for a leadoff candidate against right-handed batters. I know that people will come back and say, oh, he should be against it for both. But honestly, over his entire career, he's really poor against left-handed pitching. Um, now, he did a great as the Orioles against left-handed pitching. So maybe he has seized some magic. But my opinion is the sample size is just too small from the Orioles to say he's great against left-handed pitching. So that's going to you know change. The question is, in my opinion, who is the leadoff hitter against left-handed pitching? I think that's a great question. Snyder is a left-handed hitter, is he not? Snyder is a left-handed hitter. Do, again, on the Hot Stove sh- Show, Duquette said that he hits, strangely, better against lefties than he does righties. So that may be something to consider in, in a platoon situation. We're going to have to get deeper into spring training to know what the outfield splits are going to look like as far as who gets the starts and who doesn't. But if I, it's going to go down like that, you know, Steve Pierce can play both left and right. And so it would be interesting to me to see the platoon not be so much Pierce and the other player, but rather whoever's leading off and Pierce in the other position. It's interesting about Snyder because I actually looked up his uh, split numbers too in previous situations because I was just like, I wonder how he does against lefties. And it's kind of all over the wall. But here's the most important thing. He's been playing since 2008, and he only has 253 plate appearances against left-handers. Hmm which means that he's really played in a really a platoon situation only against right-handers for the predominant portion of his career. So last year, you're absolutely right. He had a great year against lefties. But the previous year before that, in terms of average, Jake, he had a .091 average against lefties in 2013. Are you telling me that I got swindled by that Canadian Dan Duquette? I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's a very small sample size of what we're looking at here. So I can't say that's the case. But honestly, Jake, if I'm looking at someone currently on the roster that is really intriguing to me going against left-handed pitching... I'm going with Steve Pierce as my leadoff hitter. Here's the reason why. Again, it's the blazing speed, isn't it? It's not the blazing speed. Pretty decent walk rate at you know 10.5%. Pretty low K rate at 19.8%. And again, Jake, he was number two on the team last year in terms of taking pitches per plate appearance. Jake, I know who you know number one is. Adam Jones. No, come on. You know the real answer. Nick Marcakis? No. Nick Marcakis is not number one. And I think we've talked about this before on the podcast. Nick Marcakis was actually fourth on the team last year, um, slightly below Steve Pierce. But there's one person that stands above them all. No, you got me. We talked about this last year, and it's one of the reasons I gave him still benefit of, of the doubt, even though he had some pretty poor offensive numbers. Chris Davis oh, sure. had yeah. the most amount of pitches per plate appearance. Unfortunately, most of them were strikes. They were strikes <laughs> to a certain extent. But again... Chris Davis also had a pretty decent walk percentage, 11.4% walk percentage for the season compared to a Nick Marcakis who only had an 8.7% walk percentage. So, yes, Chris Davis did strike out a lot, but he also got on base a good amount of times too. 
So, you know, I think, you know, people oftentimes overlook that aspect of Chris Davis and what he was able to bring to the plate last year outside of just his home run number. I, I think you're not crazy to talk about Steve Pierce as a candidate to, to hit lead off at times. And um, the thing that I'm concerned about with that is not so much his ability to do it. I kind of feel like Steve Pierce is the epitome of the lunchbox guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he comes to work, whatever you need him to do, he'll do it. He plays all over the field. You know, there was talk about, can he play third base? Yeah. You know, he, he was the emergency catcher last year. It wasn't Flaherty. It was Steve Pierce. He's played just about anywhere besides center and, ca- and catcher and second. You know, he, he, he'll do anything. My question to you is this. He's finally going to get money. Right. He just settled at, at 3.7. He's finally going to get some playing time. You know, he's done everything he's been asked to do. My, my question is, is it kind of unfair to him now that he's getting all these things finally to put him outside of the element of what he is for the tools he's got? Hmm. Look, he is a at best, in my opinion, best used in the five through seven hole. And I think that if you put him in that in that role, and that's what you ask him to do on a more often than not basis. If you're going to give him 500 at bats and ask him to to be there, I think you ought to at least you you owe it to him to at least put him in the position where he's going to try to be successful the most frequently. And I, I think you know if you ask him to be a leadoff hitter, okay, yeah, he might be able to do it you know reasonably well, but is it really you getting him at his best? And I think it's also going to come back to a situation of I think one of the reasons the name hasn't been done really easily is I think it's going to depend on. Who's hot and who's not? I think Steve Pierce could easily be that five to seven hitter, like you discussed. But if Steve Pierce is hot, I see no reason why he shouldn't be batting number one or number two in this order. If you're hot, you should be up there and getting more at bats, just like Buckshaw Walter said. Yeah, no, simple as that. I, I won't. I won't argue the point. I won't argue the point. All right, Jake. I think with that, it's time we go ahead and blow the save. Scott, I'm going to blow the save with something a little personal. Ooh. All right, something that comes to the heart. Uh, having a Twitter conversation this evening, um, I, I got to talking about my little league career, and I wanted just to lay out there my single inning of pitching experience. Okay, as a lefty in little league, you play the outfield and you play first base. They sure. always say you go out there or go over to first. I hated both those positions. I love playing second base. Yes, it's an awkward turn as turn as a lefty, but I, I love doing that. I had a coach one year who said, I always wanted to bring in the lefty. So he, he gave me the old uh, you know, old left arm, brought me in. I had a single inning career. I ended up walking the bases loaded. Okay. However, I also struck out the side. And I struck out the side because my stuff was so awful that it was nowhere near the plate. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And the best part was it was a friend of a friend that struck out on that third uh, out. Uh, somebody I knew... To this day, I swear he was doing me a favor. It was the worst inning of Little League Baseball you have ever seen in your life. I was the Abaldo Jimenez of Emerton Baseball in that year. And I think I was like 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. Like, I had no excuse for being as bad as I was. And I was awful. Mm. Did you ever pitch in Little League? A lot, actually. Really? Yeah, I pitched a lot. It's because you were probably tall and uh, lanky back then. I was tall and lanky, and I threw a drive and I threw a fastball and a changeup all the time, and I would never throw a curveball. Well, actually, that's not true. There was one time I threw a knuckle curve because I really wanted to throw a knuckle curve because Mike Mussina threw it. So I threw it one time. I tried to throw it one time in a game, and it got absolutely shellacked. And the coach came out and said, "Did you just try to throw a knuckle curve?" And I said, "Maybe." He's like, "If you ever do that again, I'm going to whoop your ass." And I was like, "Okay, I'm not going to throw the knuckle curve ever again in a game." But whenever we play wiffle ball in the neighborhood, 
knuckle curve would come out from Mike Nusina. Nice. So it's a good thing that we've got a podcast because we have nothing to fall back on from a pitching perspective. No, I blew out my arm a long time ago, and apparently it was too much money to get fixed. Yeah, yeah. I've always had more more success with co-ed softball. Yeah, not really, actually. All right, with that, Jake, um, I think that's going to tie up this week on Bird's Eye View. Um, at least we're counting down the days to spring training starting and pitchers and catchers reporting. But By the time this comes out, about 16 days, something like that? Yeah, something like that, 16 days. So we're so close. We're, we're getting there. That's great, but... We're also in this deadly lull of probably no moves being made or anything like that. So You mean all offseason? All offseason. Now, by saying that, the Orioles, of course, are going to make a move. So you can thank us later. You can send donations to birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Um, with that, Jake? I have nothing else. Baltimore and beyond, I bid you a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Stay safe. Stay warm. And let's go O's. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.